This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendo UI. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville, Tennessee. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from rainy Provo. Kind of late in the season for that. Joe Eames. Howdy, people. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Jordan Eldridge. Jordan, do you want to say hi? Yeah, hello from uh, London Town. London Town. What are you doing in London Town? Uh, visiting for work for a little event here, and then heading back on Monday. Not crashing the royal wedding. No, although I think we did arrive right uh, right <laughs> on the day of the, the royal wedding. <laughs> so you weren't a hundred percent sure if all the photographers were for you or for somebody else. <laughs> you uh, just I was, waved anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sure they were not for me. <laughs> It's Maybe. Jordan! Oh! <laughs> Maybe if you'd worn a dress, I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. All right. Well, we're, we're going to talk to you today about this Winamp project you built. Do you want to just uh, give us kind of an overview of, of that and what it is and how that all came together? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess back in 2014, uh, I was sitting on my bed and I had a, a recollection of Winamp skins. So I guess let me start with some background for anyone who's uninitiated. So Winamp was uh, probably the first big uh, MP3 player around the era of Napster. And one of its notable features was that you could, you could style it. And so it had these skins, which were these binary files which you could download and you know, open up within Winamp and it would change the way that Winamp looked. And I had this recollection of how they were implemented um, because as a, as a teenager, I had played with, uh, with creating these Winamp skins. And under the hood, there are actually a zip file that contains bitmaps, which are uh, like sprite sheets. So they contain a, a lot of smaller images sort of tiled out. And I was doing something at work that had to do with CSS uh, sprite sheets. And I just had the recollection like, hey, I wonder if you could parse those uh, Winamp skin images using CSS and kind of get them rendering on the screen. And um, so I sat down and I, and I got it working. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, then four years passed and I didn't think to ever stop. So, so I ended up re-implementing uh, pretty much uh, all the major features of Winamp 2 in JavaScript. Okay, that's crazy on so many levels. I was going to say. <laughs> Why JavaScript? Just so that it can run in the browser? Um, yeah, I guess so. I think it, it's really one of those things where, um, you know, this is, not a, this is not actually a useful thing that anyone, <laughs> anyone said they wanted ever. So it was really like, uh, you know, maybe a, a problem in search of a, of a, uh, or a solution in search of a problem. That's, like, that's the um, best time, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was something that was interesting to me. Um, the, the Sort of the problem was interesting. and. Um, and it led to a bunch of really, really interesting challenges. Um, and I think the web was sort of just ready for it, too. Uh, you know, the web audio API was just sort of coming into all the browsers. 
And um, so, yeah, it wasn't so much that I, I wanted to actually build something useful or that this uh, project was a great dream of mine as much as the problems were just sort of interesting. And day after day, I kept being drawn back to it uh, for all the interesting technological angles. And so I guess, I guess the, the, the real answer to the question is, uh, why JavaScript? Because it, it doesn't seem like it should work. Uh, you know, it's an interesting problem to do because it kind of challenges, I think, what, what all you can do in the browser. So yeah, I was I, gonna say, Amy asked why JavaScript, and I was thinking, why Winamp? But I think you answered that, so. <laughs> I was actually thinking, like, why not JavaScript? Do it all JavaScript. But. <laughs> uh, I was you, thinking, why weren't you watching The Walking Dead or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a arguably not, not a great use of one's time, but I, get, I guess, you know, I get to talk to you guys, so it's all worth so it. So I read a blog post, and there was, like, a quote from you in there about how having to do it in the browser introduced like all these different constraints and how that produces creativity. And that's something I definitely agree with and think constraints are a good thing. Do you want to maybe expand on that and maybe talk about some of the creative solutions you had to have? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, that really has been one of the big takeaways for me is that the uh, sort of the creative energy that has come out of this project isn't, um, sort of supplied by an endless amount of, of free, uh, freedom and creativity, but really by the, the limitations of both the browser and then also, you know, I'm trying to re-implement a thing which already exists. And so unlike most kind of development where you're figuring out what this product should do as you go, it's like the spec is 100% present, right? So the thing that I'm trying to build is, you know, exactly the thing that already exists. And so there's never a question of like, well, should it work this way or that way? Which one is better? Um, but yeah, I think to the point of, of constraints, it really helps um, to, have the, to have sort of boundaries on either side um, because I think really otherwise I get very, or I personally feel like I get really overwhelmed with um, you know, all the possibilities of ways that you could do things. Um, and so having you know, a, some limitation not only uh, you know, sort of keeps you from getting distracted or unsure of how to proceed. Um, like for example, you know, if you want to parse Winamp skins in the browser, um, there aren't dozens and dozens of ways to do it. It's a hard problem, and when you get down to the actual technical deal details of it, you know, there really are only really only one way <laughs> to get it done. Um, and I can talk you know a bit more about those technical details, but. Uh, yeah, overall, I have found that having pretty strict limitations, both in this project and in other projects um, throughout my life, has really been sort of the most fertile ground for both like uh, feeling motivated and also for learning. It's immensely frustrating, but it's also kind of fun. I imagine you had a really hard time choosing from all of the resources out there about parsing Winamp skims and <laughs> JavaScript, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that really that that actually kind of hits the nail on the head in that it, it drove me off the beaten path. And I think I was able to learn things that I never would have um, been forced to learn and sort of discover things that weren't, you know, already discovered a million times over. I think, you know, as someone looking for a side project, it sometimes can really feel like, hey, all the cool ideas are taken. Um, or like, what am I going to do? Like another to-do app. Uh, and so having something where... The, 
the it was where it was possible but not easy and not explored really um i think you know i got to try to solve problems that probably have never been solved before and that's a really amazing feeling as an engineer especially uh, someone who is used to sort of searching out for side projects and feeling like gosh am i really just gonna you know do another thing that's already been done a million times okay so i want to ask you a question here about the usefulness of what you've learned, obviously, like skinning Winamp in JavaScript is not the kind of thing that a lot of companies are doing nowadays. So <laughs> there's not a job title looking for expert in skinning Winamp in JavaScript. But Joe, I think you're out of touch. <laughs> I could be. I could be. That's probably the hot job skill coming up. But, um, I imagine you went through and you learned a whole lot of stuff, but I have a little parallel story I want to tell here. I, several years ago, decided I wanted an interview for Google. And I do not have a degree in computer science. <clears throat> and I've been programming for a long time, just doing your basic business programming. So my knowledge of data structures and algorithms is really poor. And their interview is extremely difficult and definitely oriented towards fresh CS graduates, right? So it's yeah. heavy on data structures and algorithms. So I spent a ton of time. I ended up doing two interviews over the, over the course of six months. And I probably spent 300 hours studying data structures, algorithms, big O, notation, et cetera, et cetera, right? Learned a ton of stuff. And up until that point, I'd maybe used data structures and algorithms two or three times. There's probably like three or four more times I really could have used that knowledge uh, that I didn't have at the time. Yeah. Since then, I've probably used it about two times in the last like four <laughs> or five years, right? So even though there is a lot of people talking about learning this sort of stuff, and there are definitely a lot of jobs that use this sort of stuff, I find in the typical business programming that I do that I don't necessarily leverage that knowledge that I gained. Do you, based on your experiences with what you did here, do you feel like there was some value that it's going to be long-term to you outside of the intrinsic self, uh, I don't know, value that you got out of it? Yeah, definitely. So um, before I had took, taken on this project, I hadn't really done any real JavaScript. Um, I had done, you know, like bad squishing it together of jQuery plugins, um, but I had never really dug in. In fact, the very first version of this was written with jQuery. Um, and so I was, you know, I was working on it in jQuery and I was quickly realizing like, man, this is feeling pretty painful. And so I decided to refactor the whole thing and figure out how to do it without jQuery and just using the, um, the sort of regular, you know, native DOM APIs. And I, I really learned and I, I think one being a side project, it meant that I could just say, you know, I don't care, I don't care about IE9. I don't care about IE at all. Um, and, you know, unlike things at work where I couldn't really play with, you know, newer things. Um, and so, you know, maybe something like jQuery would be required in order for the, to have the compatibility. But, you know, I could really just drop down and, and start playing with these, you know, vanilla JavaScript APIs and like figure out how do you do a module in JavaScript? Like this was something I'd never had to do. And so even just learning those, those very basics right out of the gate, like how do you structure JavaScript code such that it scales to like a bigger project? Um, and that led me to become much more interested in JavaScript and then pursue that um, more rigorously at my, at my day job at the time. And that led me into a sort of JavaScript-centric role at the company and then eventually to sort of a um, leading our JavaScript efforts at that company, mostly, I think, out of this project, just that, you know, the, the inherent interest in it that I would, you know, come home each night and be like, man, I really want to hack on that thing, um, taught me a lot. And then not only just the sort of generic 
vanilla APIs, but also some of these more obscure APIs that I needed to learn in order to get some of this stuff done. Like, you know, um, I think web audio API is a good example, but maybe, uh, you know, also just things about like, how, to, how does Canvas work? And, you know, what kinds of performance concerns do you actually have when you have, you know, audio animating a Canvas in real time? Um, so I think these are all things which really did feedback into my work. And then that sort of led down a path of, um, you know, uh, like a, maybe like a feedback loop. You know, that's very interesting because on a very related topic to the story that I told, I also interviewed at Facebook and uh, I did not get an offer, but a friend of mine interviewed at Facebook at the same exact time and did get an offer and mm. he completely blew them away because of his understanding of JavaScript, right? Like I also think you're also teaching a little bit of a timeless lesson here in that we oftentimes are focusing on, oh, do you, how well do you know this framework or that framework? But the people who really, really know JavaScript and really, really know uh, the DOM API, those are classic skills that are not getting old, have no appearance of ever getting old, and um, can really make the difference in setting you apart from other people when it comes to uh, your your viability as an employee. Yeah, I think that there's really a, a, a ton of just sort of, I mean, God, JavaScript as a language, while I definitely love it, it's, it's such a sort of I don't know, warty language. It's got like all sorts of, you know, gross things tagged onto it. And there's so much sort of trivia, I feel like you have to know in order to be a, a good JavaScript engineer. And I think the, that this project act as, acted as a forcing function in many ways for me to learn those things because the, you know, the project was exciting enough that I wanted to go solve the problems and I wanted to figure out how to do it right. Um, and yeah, all kinds of strange things about how the browser works because it was sort of trying to push the boundaries. Well, I can feel the boundaries being pushed from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like one, one example, uh, something that, you know, I, I didn't really realize at the time, but so the, I, I, maybe I can walk, talk through a little bit of how the skin parsing works. So like I was saying, the skin is this, you know, it was a, essentially a zip file containing these bitmap files. And then it would use the sec some subsections out of those bitmap files as the, um, as, you know, the visual UI sort of stitched together. Um, so first of all, I realized that uh, someone, of course, with NPM in existence, somebody has written a, a JavaScript library to parse zip files. So I was able to pull in a JavaScript dependency which would decompress the zip files and then give me access to these binary blobs of the individual files. And then from there, I had to sort of extract all the different um, sprites. So I, originally I thought I could just do it with sort of traditional CSS sprite sheets um, where you, you set, what you do is you set the image as the background of some div and then you size the div to the size of the individual image and then you use background position to position the, um, the to basically allow only the sort of small sprite sub you know, portion of the image to show through. Um, and that works great. And that, start, that got worked when I first was playing with it. But I ended up needing uh, to, to be able to have these sprites tile. And if you've ever done um, CSS sprite sheets, you'll know that that is one limitation that they cannot do that. And so what I ended up having to do is uh, pull those sprites, uh, sprites out of the image in JavaScript. So what I ended up doing is like taking these binary blobs putting them into an image uh, node and then putting that image node into a canvas, using the canvas to slice out the individual part, extract that as another binary blob, 
Um, and then I can start to use that uh, in, you know, in JavaScript land at the individual image. And now I, you might think that, oh, you can now you can just use that as like the background property via JavaScript, just, you know, set that as the um, background property, you know, dom.style.background or whatever. But um, you can't do that for pseudo selectors like hover and active um, or um, like the slider on a, uh, or like the, the handle on a visual, on an input slider. And so what I ended up needing to do is then serialize that, um, you know, individual sprite image into a um, data URI and stick it into and construct a CSS style sheet as like a string in JavaScript and then inject that into the DOM. So like these are all things which I never would have had to do at my day job and arguably if I were doing these things at my day job, it would be because I was doing something horribly wrong. But in this case, you know, the, it was the constraints of this project that led me down this very obscure path. But I mean, I learned so much about what is a data URI, you know, how uh, can you uh, use JavaScript to set uh, these pseudo element styles and all these things, which, you know, again, I never would have had any opportunity to rub up against, uh, you know, without a project like this. So I was looking at the architecture document and it shows uh, Redux and React, um, you know, media skins. You talked a little bit about that already, CSS, the visualizer and equalizer. Uh, what made you choose React and Redux as opposed to some of the other things out there? Yeah, so like I said, I had originally started with jQuery and then I converted it to, I guess, quote unquote, vanilla JavaScript. Um, and I had this observation that when you're writing something with vanilla JavaScript, um, you, what you're doing is you're managing transitions. So, you know, you say, okay, when I click this button, I want to add this class over here. Um, or when I, um, you know, move this slider, I want to, you know, change this volume over here. Um, and that works fine for a little while. But I think what you end up having is a amount of code complexity that grows exponentially relative to the number of states you have in your application because you have to manage the transition between each state. And so, you know, if you have two states, that's okay. But if you start to have like 30 states, suddenly, you know, this exponential growth becomes completely unmaintainable. And um, I had come across React in uh, some other, uh, you know, places on the internet and I'd gotten a chance to play with it a little bit. And combined with uh, Redux, this sort of declarative style of saying like, given a state, here's a function which returns my UI, um, made me realize that, you know, here is an architecture where the complexity of the app grows linearly with the number of states that you have. Um, and, or at least not exponentially. And so that was really motivation. It ended up being quite a nice, um, quite a nice architecture for a project like this. Um, and I was surprised that the, the performance actually works quite well, even, you know, we have these sort of continuous updates, um, you know, cycling through Redux, but it, it seems to perform quite well. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, 
freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Well, this just makes me happy. It's <laughs> like such a fun thing to do. And I've myself have personally had so much enjoyment out of projects um, doing the weird stuff. Like I love, it's frustrating. And, and I, I would love to hear if you agree with that, you know, when you're trying to parse binary formats and get down really low, like it's really frustrating. You're running like tons of bugs and off, off by one errors that are even worse than the regular ones. But it's just so satisfying to take something old and dingy and to be like, ha, I browsered that mofo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right that, that it is frustrating. And, and I think there was sort of two kinds of frustration in this project. There was one, the like, I don't know how to do this, right? Like, um, you know, I, I remember, I think I mentioned earlier, but I remember just like not knowing how to structure a module. Like I didn't understand prototypical inheritance and like how the difference between like these sort of faux classes that you can do in JavaScript or you could at the time now we've got real classes, but um, you know, these things were like, I just didn't know how to do it. Um, and those I think were really actually fun because, you know, eventually when you do figure it out, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm smarter now and I know how to do a thing I didn't know how to do before. Uh, but then there are also these cases where, you know, there are a lot of weird browser quirks and getting things to work, um, you know, with some of these newer APIs uh, just can be, can be really frustrating, uh, especially audio because you can't debug it just by like, getting into the state and then refreshing until it looks right. You, know, you actually have to like play it, and so it has this extra time dimension. And there, I mean, there are a number of, of weird browser bugs where you know the web audio API is not as mature as you might hope. Where like I was hitting a bug where, um, like, because I had ordered the DOM, the, not the DOM, the audio nodes in just some particularly obscure order, it would just like insta insta hard crash Safari, like Safari would sig fault, um, and. Like, so I spent like three months where I just couldn't do anything on Safari. I'd like turn off features on Safari because I'd filed a bug with them and they weren't getting back to me. Um, and like, I've actually those were more frustrating. happened before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those were, those were definitely more frustrating. Although it did feel pretty cool to be like, you know, I don't know. I, I, as someone who spent a lot of time feeling like I didn't even understand, you know, my tools well enough to know when they were misbehaving or to like be pushing them hard enough that they would ever, that I would ever hit bugs. Um, to be hitting bugs in like a major browser, I was like, okay, I must be like exploring something interesting if I've gotten, you know, from doing something off the beaten path enough that I figured out how to crash Safari reliably. So I like, oh, I've had two experiences like that. One with Node. I don't think anyone else uses the TLS module directly. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on the planet <laughs> because I've hit like such obvious bugs with that and been the first person to report it. Also, I was building a media player in Chrome once mm. and um, it just, you know, kind of along your same line, but not with your level of dedication. And <laughs> I, I just, I, the audio players just suck. 
You know, like they, they don't really consider the user experience, most of them. And so there's little nuances, like when you press the pause button, having it fade over, you know, one to 200 milliseconds. And when you press the resume button, like have it back up a little bit and fade in. So you're like exactly where you left off when you, you know, there's little nuances like that. And so I, I had these same kind of things where like I had to figure out that, you know, you could only put so many audio elements on the page at a time, or you need to have a special property, like whether it was paused or preloaded and stuff like that. And, and I think a lot of the quirks have been worked out since then, I hope, but it, it was, it was quite an experience and like way fun and super challenging. Yeah. It was definitely a surprise to me how the web audio API is, it really is, it does, I think, take into account a lot of the things that an audio player wants to do. I mean, I was able to do all the things that Winamp does pretty much. Um, you know, the equalizer works, um, you know, panning and, um, you know, volume all work and, you know, you can play multiple tracks and whatnot, but still the API is definitely a lower level than like a user interface. How does the equalizer work? Cause I don't think they had that back when I was working with the audio API. Yeah, so I had to do a bunch of research again. I don't really know anything about audio, or I didn't before I started this project. Um, but so the, the, actually the way the web audio API works, if anyone's interested in, in looking at it, is, is really quite cool. Um, it, the model is that there are these nodes, um, and you sort of construct a graph of the nodes. And there's like one input, and then you connect up you know, the, the input of, or the output of one to the input of another. And then at the very end, you connect the output of the final node um, to like the sort of global output, which is essentially your speakers. And so actually if you, um, inside my, uh, the code in the like a media file, there's actually a, like a whole ASCII diagram, how all the nodes are connected. Um, but for the equalizer, it's basically just an array of these biquad filter nodes, um, each was of which has a hard coded frequency. And then you can basically set the level of that node and then the, basically the UI just connects, you know, says every time you fiddle one of these sliders, it should update the, the corresponding node. Um, and then it just filters out the filters up or down the contents of that frequency. And I, I you know, I just had to Google around long enough to realize that by quad filter node was the thing that I wanted. And from there, it was actually pretty easy. Could, do you have a link to that diagram that you could share real quick? Yeah, definitely. Because I'm looking at the readme page, trying to glean what I can here. So what, um, what were the most challenging technical details aside from the skinning, like with the audio API or whatever to, to implement this? Yeah, there was a, um, a number of, of things. I think, um, I know some of the fun ones came later actually. Um, I think one is, so there's, uh, so I guess tagging onto the equalizer, the equalizer actually supports a, like a, an export format. So in Wayneamp, you can say like, you know, save my EQ settings to a file, an EQF file, and then you can load them back in. And so, you know, as I got further along this project, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna implement that. And so um, reverse engineering and re-implementing, you know, both parsing and creation of these little tiny, um, you know, EQF files, that was really fun because I, again, I had never done any kind of binary uh, parsing like that. Um, and just sort of figuring out how that stuff works. Um, another one that was really interesting was, which I wasn't sure I would ever be able to get working, was Winamp actually supports in its skin, you can actually uh, specify this region.txt file, which is basically uh, kind of just like a, a comma separated list of 
um, of uh, like coordinates, and it it constructs like a like a clip mask, I guess. And so it says like these portions of the skin should be transparent. And I was like, well, you know, gosh, I don't think that's ever going to work in the browser. Um, but when I finally got around to it, I realized that uh, at least now in the browsers, there's this thing called SVG clip path. And so uh, what I was able to do is, you know, first of all, you know, get, get the zip file, parse out this region.txt file, parse out the comma separated list of um, vertices, and then construct, uh, you know, dynamically in JavaScript an SVG, um, because, you know, SVGs are actually, you know, just sort of XML and, um, you know, their nodes just like the DOM. Um, a SVG, which modeled the, the paths outlined in this uh, document. And then if you stick that somewhere arbitrary in the DOM, you can then reference it from CSS to say, like, use the clip path defined in this um, SVG. So if you, if you go to webamp.org and you click the little options menu in the upper left-hand corner and you select the skin, let's see what's called, green dimension, V2, um, you actually see that like parts of the skin are just suddenly transparent, um, and it's all you know dynamically defined inside the skin. So that was I, one of those things where I was really amazed that that it was possible in the browser. So, are you still working on this, or is it done? <laughs> yeah, so I am still working on it, and by the time this podcast lands, there will be another uh, pretty impressive feature, which I can actually put in the in the chat here now uh, it's behind a little hidden feature flag um, but if you click here oh let's see that you might have to copy the whole thing i think the uh the linkification may not have worked properly uh, yeah, but if you can get that if you can get that milk drop true so one of the most requested features or like sort of when this thing was mentioned in in the press um which first of all is kind of hilarious that it got the kind of press that it got um, one of the things people mentioned was like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't have milk drop, which was the sort of quintessential visualizer um, that came along with Winamp in the later versions. And um, an, another engineer named Jordan Berg uh, has been working on this other project called Butter Churn. And I think you can find it at butterchurnviz.com. Again, I can send you guys a link to that, um, which is a like WebGL2 re implementation of. Milk drop, and so it's these. It's that sort of like quintessential trippy, um, you know, uh, visualization with three D visualization, and so I think that is a really big feature that is yet to come. Which is, I think, another like, wow, I can't believe you can do that in the browser. Have you thought about porting this to like Electron or anything, and then you could actually install WinApp on your computer, right? Yeah. So someone actually did this, um, and. Uh, it, there, there were a bunch of interesting challenges to get it to work. Um, so one of the challenges being that you actually have to, that you can't really have multiple different windows and have it really work that well. So in Electron, uh, each window is its own process and it can only talk to the other processes via like message passing. Um, so if we wanted to have multiple windows and then still like stream like have a visualizer which is coordinated with a main process. I'm not really sure exactly how you would do that. Um, but we were able to get it working with a sort of a hack of having basically a full screen transparent app. Um, and then you can see through to the rest of the to your applications behind, but even though so it'll look like you have multiple smaller windows. 
Um, but yeah, we, we, he was able to get it to work and it's, it's pretty impressive to see. Um, but my, I, I haven't really mentioned it much because my worry is that you're going to end up in this sort of, have, have you, um, have you heard of the term uncanny Valley? Someone just said that to me today. Oh, really? Yeah. So the, the concept is in, I think, like 3D animation that you can, you know, that the animation gets more and more realistic over time. And it like people think it's like better and better and better and better. And at some point, it, before it reaches sort of completely believable, it goes through this period of being sort of uncannily real, where it, it's just real enough to make you sort of start to believe that it actually is real instead of a cartoon and yet not real enough to actually have you believe that it's real. And so it feels very unnerving and very sort of wrong. Like and, the way a dog feels when they look at a mannequin. Yeah. Like that is a very good uh, analogy. Um, but I, I do sort of worry that something which in the browser feels like, I don't know, very impressive and novel and like kind of amazing that once it's an actual desktop app, it'll just be like, oh, wow, this is like a really like crappy version of Winamp that takes way too much memory. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely uh, possible. I think once you start getting it you know, in your file system and like able to read off the disk, suddenly the, the things which you were pretty willing to forgive in the browser are gonna feel not so forgivable. But I'm interested to hear someone, you know, someone, if someone wants to take it up and create a fork and work on it, yeah, I'd be, I'd be love to be proven wrong. I would love to see like a backend on this where it actually interfaces with a music API so that I could use it with my music library. So that, uh, there's actually an almost identical story for, for this. Um, so someone has taken a, a fork and has it working with the Spotify API, which is I think the second most like co most common response, which is like, this is so cool. Also, I don't have any MP3s anymore, so I only ever use Spotify, so please connect this to Spotify. And it seems like it should work, but unfortunately the Spotify API is constrained by DRM. And so while we can play the audio, we can't visualize it, we can't do the EQ. Um, and so again, like it's really close and it does theoretically work, um, but I just think the experience is going to be so bad that it's not worth sort of. Here's, here's what you do. You turn on the microphone yeah. and you let <laughs> it listen to, and you visualize based off of what it's recording. It'll be so off just slightly by a few minutes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, but yeah, it is pretty frustrating that it, that it can't quite work. You can, I do have a um, Dropbox integration so you can, if you click in the upper left-hand corner, you can say play from Dropbox and it'll stream off your Dropbox. Um, but that's, that's about as far as I've gotten. Cool. Well, I want to keep in touch with you because I, I'm working on a home server and um, I would love to get this on it. Um, it's just because it's cool and nostalgia factor, you know? Yeah, I guess the other, the other closest thing which I have yet to complete is... Um, so Justin Frankel was the guy who sort of started Winamp, um, and and he's a really fascinating and very cool guy. Uh, if you if you ever have a chance to go sort of down a Wikipedia hole and read up all sort of interviews with him, the story the story of Winamp I think is very much an expression of his personality. Um, but when 
when I when this thing first got posted on Twitter you know, a few years ago, uh, he actually responded and was like, "Hey, you should hook it up to this thing that he has called, which is called Wump, um, which is his sort of like online media player for his. He's a he's a musician, and so the way he shares his music is a, a site on his page, which is basically a media player, um, and it's got you know sort of hundreds, if not thousands, of tracks on it." And so definitely that would be another integration that I would like to do because he, he did suggest it. That's kind of funny, almost. Were you building Win, Winamp and pointing it at his stuff? Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's actually been one of the other, you know, aside from the technical things that I've learned from this project, one of the other things that's been really pretty interesting was been the way that a project like this, which does sort of have enough legs that people want to share it, has put me in touch with a lot of really interesting people um, that I really don't think I would have gotten a chance to, you know, to talk with, including, you know, some of the, some people who, who worked on Winamp as a product. Um, and um, in fact, um, one of them, Darren Owen is, is working on a, a sort of community fork of Winamp called, um, I'm blanking on the name right now for some reason, um, <laughs> called, um, oh yeah, Y, y Cup, W Cup, um, which is a Winamp community update pack, I think is what he's calling it. Um, and it's basically, you know, he's a former Winamp engineer who's continuing to work on it as a sort of community-driven product um, and trying to release a new version. So, you know, these are all things which I don't think I would have had access to without the sort of attention that this product project has gotten. That's cool. Well, thanks for coming on and talking to us about this for a while. Um, I think I think we'll have you on the React podcast and we'll dive in a little bit deeper on the React part of this. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. I know a few people have some time constraints here. For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. AJ, do you want to start us off with picks? I will. So in some of our pre-chat, I was talking about the Sam Sun not to be confused with Samsung, but S-A-M-S-O-N, Go Mic, which I think is a really nice middle of the road mic. Like, first of all, if you have any sort of Windows computer, unless it's like one of the really nice ones, like maybe the Surface, you know that your mic is worthless and they shouldn't have wasted the money that they spent putting it in there because you would have been better off with that 50 cents to something else like an ice cream. Um, and this is what I'd recommend for anybody in that situation where your built-in mic just, I mean, it's just not usable um, because it's, it's like 40 bucks and 
honestly, I think as you get more expensive on the, the side of the mics, I don't think that the quality, and I, I mean, this may be heresy, maybe I'm not enough of an audio guy, although I'd say I am kind of a bit of an audio guy, but um, I don't feel like the quality increases leaps and bounds for things like what we're doing here, podcasting and whatnot. And, and I could be mistaken. I mean, people are free to, you know, tell me that my voice always sucks and, and maybe that's why. But a lot of times I just use the built-in Mac mic or this Samsung and sometimes I use this Yeti. But I think it's just, I think it's just great value. I, I just can't. Uh, the only problem is that it has to plug in via USB. It doesn't have any option for plugging in with, you know, any other type of cable, which again, isn't really that big of a deal, but I, I think it works great. And I'd highly recommend it to anybody that's, that wants something that's a little bit better um, than what they have built in. And, and like I said, if you've got the, the Mac mic, I mean, that one's pretty decent, but this is, I think is a little bit better. And I, I compared with the Yeti, I mean, the quality is a little bit different, but I don't know if it's as different as the prices. Um, and then also, so I've been um, working a lot on the Let's Encrypt V2 API and um, updating Greenlock and then started actually doing, looking at the stats on it and realized that we actually have quite a bit of downloads and quite a community. And so I started refocusing on that. And so um, if you are looking for a solution in Node to be able to integrate um, the automated HTTPS directly into something you're doing like a server or a proxy or something like that, um, I just want to recommend taking a look at it. I think it's really like the only option in Node. There might be like one or two other libraries, but most of the libraries that exist are built on top of Greenlock anyway. Um, and then even if you're looking for something that's like, the reason I originally built it way back when I started it was um, CertBot took up like just a ton of RAM and getting all the Python dependencies installed and everything was, was just difficult. So I actually built it so it could run on IoT devices and found out that Mozilla IoT is actually using it as well. So anyway, um, there's there's like a couple different flavors of it. There's Greenlock for web, web servers and there's Greenlock for Node and there's Greenlock for API integrations, but um, all automated HTTPS stuff and um, would love it if you try it out and you know if it's something that you need and uh, would love to have any feedback or suggestions, pull requests, uh, always love community involvement on it. So those are those. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I want a solid gold uh, microphone like Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> no. that, that, sure. that would make me feel better about everything. I think that, I mean, Apple came out with the gold watch and that was a disposable item that you're expected to throw away after a couple of years. So I don't think that a gold microphone is really that much of a stretch. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Amy, do you have some picks for us? I do. I'm going to go with just one today because I think it's that good and I want people to focus on it. <laughs> um, so I actually found this. I was listening to Soft Skills Engineering, which Jameson, who used to be a panelist, does, uh, and Dave Smith. But anyways, um, this is off of the Khan Academy Engineering blog. It's the Khan Academy Engineering Principles. Um, and man, like, you know, whether it be like your organization or just you as an individual, I think especially for newer developers, there's so many good principles in here. You know, a lot of times we 
tend to make things black and white and there's so much gray area in what we do. And so I think it like really does a good job of calling out those spots. Um, just talks about, you know, being empathetic and talks about um, shipping beats perfection and um, just all kinds of good stuff like that to kind of keep in the back of your mind as you're going about things day to day. So that's going to be my pick for today. That's it for me. Awesome. Joe, what are your picks? All right. So I got two picks earlier on. We were talking about just learning JavaScript in general. So I wanted to pick Axel Rashmeyer and his blog, Tuality.com. Uh, just a fantastic place for information about JavaScript as a language itself. And my other pick is going to be, again, somewhat related, an interesting blog post that I read off of Medium recently, What If JavaScript Wins? And a sort of blog post that explores just a tiny bit about what happens if this trend continues and JavaScript becomes basically a dominant uh, language in computer science. So both great reads and the links will be in the show notes. All right, um, I'm gonna jump in here with a few picks. Yeah, AJ was bagging on my mic setup. And <laughs> anyway, um, I, this is my third podcast today and for whatever reason, my mic setup's not working as it should. So it was fine the rest of the time, but yeah, anyway. Um, I'm just gonna jump in here with a few picks. Um, one pick that I have is, uh, as I was cleaning my office, I've been listening to a bunch of audiobooks and podcasts. And um, I've really liked being able to listen on my Jam XT. It's a Bluetooth um, speaker. And yeah, it's just really, really convenient um, being able to use that. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna pick that. And I've kind of moved everything back over to Trello. And I've been finding ways to simplify things for the way that I run the shows and things. Um, and Trello has just been a nice way to go for a lot of that stuff. So I'm gonna pick Trello as well. Um, I'm probably actually, I have a system that I've used off and on over the last few years and I sort of switched back to it, but I think I'm going to switch it over to Trello and it is the, um, I was using user voice and I've, anyway, I'm, I'm moving that stuff back to Trello so people can actually join the Trello boards for the podcast recommendations. And then Trello has a plugin that allows you to vote stuff up and down. So anyway, I'm going to move everything over to that and then it won't cost me anything. So I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, Jordan, do you have some picks? Yeah, I do. Um, I think uh, one thing actually just, just came up, uh, speaking of sort of JavaScript knowledge, and you know, I think what I was saying earlier about JavaScript being a language where you end up having to know kind of a lot of trivia. Um, this was something I was looking at uh, during my most recent prep for an interview. It's called JavaScript Garden. Um, and it's this beautiful write-up of all the different sort of idiosyncrasies of the, and gotchas of the JavaScript language. Um, and it's a, it's a great read. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, the other thing, not JavaScript, so I guess if JavaScript doesn't win, um, is the Rust programming language. I've been working with a colleague on a, on a little hack project um, in Rust and just getting to learn it. And as someone who's never written anything in any kind of like systems language, um, it's been a really great learning experience, and it's certainly not been uh, certainly been challenging for me. Um, but I, I feel like I'm learning a lot, and it's uh, really I think it's a interestingly pragmatic language. Um, and then one other thing that I have to to promote is uh, as part of this uh, WinAmp or WebAmp project, 
Um, I created a Twitter bot called at Winamp Skins, all one word, Winamp Skins, which periodically tweets out a screenshot of a Winamp skin and then gives you a link that you can go try it out on WebAmp. Um, so yeah, if you're if you want sort of a daily drip of nostalgia in your Twitter feed, uh, yeah, go ahead and subscribe. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. But thank you for coming, Jordan. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, and uh, yeah, we'll get you on that React podcast and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.